This is O Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, Chameleon Collective Founding Partner, Freddie Laker. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's O Ship. And this week, I've got a notable guest who is a serial investor, but not necessarily a serial entrepreneur. He made one big leap, which ended with a really big outcome. So today we're here to discuss some of the lessons he brought from being an investor and how those lessons helped him to become a better leader and entrepreneur. His name is Joshua Lee, and he's the founder of Ardius, which actually was recently acquired by Gusto. If you're not familiar with Gusto, it's a software platform that handles payroll and HR functions amongst a lot of other things. And Ardius has added another really valuable tool to their tool belt. Fun part is, turns out Josh just isn't a good entrepreneur, but also a great CEO because he was recently recognized by an organization called Tain, which is from Southern California, as one of the best technology CEOs for 2022. And we're very lucky to have him join us for this week's ship. And with that, here we go with another episode. Joshua, welcome to Ship. How are you? Freddie, good to be with you. I made my day, by the way, when we talked on the pre-show and I found out that you're already an OSHIP listener watcher. So thank you for that. You know, so, watcher yeah. and listener. I'm a big fan. That makes me super happy. And you know, one of the things I think is so interesting about today's chat is I've been digging into your background. Obviously, you've got a great company in your hands, great result with your company joining Gusto. But you are actually a first-time entrepreneur, even though you're a serial investor, which, by the way, explains why you have far better hair than me. That's one company. <laughs> and no grace. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been on um, both sides of the table, which has yeah. been amazing, <laughs> so, the investor so, and... Okay, so, so how did you end up moving from being an investor to a first-time founder then? Well, let's start from the, the way back. We're going to go back into the time machine. I started... My career at Ernst & Young as a public accounting firm, as a CPA. And the true Hollywood story here is, you know, we have a bunch of friends. There's eight or nine of us. And these friends all decided to go after college, the investment banking route, two years, then went into venture capital. But the funny story is none of these friends actually made it past their first year in venture capital. They actually ended up taking seed rounds from their own respective VC firms. And so story goes, starting their own startup, who do they know that would be a good, you know, potential accounting CFO person? You guessed it, right? And so <laughs> I was on all these advisory boards. I was probably their first token investor. I was on pitch decks that I hadn't even heard of. I get phone calls <laughs> in the middle of the afternoon. And Josh, are you on this board of, you know, and so that was kind of- You're like, you look at your LinkedIn, you're like, apparently I am. But it was such an impactful part of the story because you know, it gave me such joy, right, in helping them, you know, build out their strategy, figure out their finances, and understand how the fundraising landscape worked, right, in raising these rounds. And eventually, I got so interested in startups that I wanted to be more involved. And so after 13, 13 and a half years at Ernst & I decided to make that leap probably five years, six years, if I'm honest with myself, too late. Yeah. Right? I kind of knew you know, how much happiness I had in helping and working with other people toward a common goal versus 
serving these billion dollar companies, which I was very fortunate and blessed to be part of, but you could kind of tell that my heart wasn't, you know, really, yeah. really into it. And so I made that leap into, we call it a venture fund, but it had very few zeros after it that I wouldn't call it venture <laughs> capital. I would call it more venture building. Yeah. And so that was us not only putting capital in there, but putting in some sweat equity, right? Building out as a CFO or even CEO if we had to, or even marketing product, legal. And so it's basically a venture studio before it became really popular and trending yeah. now, which is what it was. So how did you make the jump from, you know, basically starting your first company? So this was the challenging part. So I, we had probably made 23, 24, some odd investments oh, wow. into this. And it was really organic. I'll basically start by saying it was very organic. So 23, 24 investments. And when people find out, you know, you were a CPA, inevitably they want free advice. And so I would get most of these companies coming and say, Josh, you know, what are we missing? What can we do? What, you know, what more efficiencies can we find? And, and sure enough, as I, you know, delve deeper into their tax returns and their financials, you know, it's like, hey, why are you guys not even claiming this free money? Like these tax credits, you know, that the IRS are basically incentivizing companies to take. And the funny and inevitable funny story, Freddie, is, you know, they would ask me, hey, do you want to talk to our accountant? I'm like, sure. And most of the time it's, Honey, right? It's like <laughs> it's their neighbor, it's someone. And so no one's really taken a look at it. And what we ended up doing was, and I thought, you know, I would do my old firm a favor, wrapped them all up in a bow, took them and said, You're welcome. Like, you guys need to help these companies. And so their reaction was priceless. You know, Josh, you'll always be an alumni. We love you, but we can't service any of these companies. They're too small. They're pre revenue, right? These are startups. We're not even sure if you can get paid. Right. And so inevitably we were looking at this problem and saying, wow, this is something that, you know, we need to fix. Like we had a couple of developers in our studio write, you know, some code and say, you know, we're going to try to help these companies, our own portfolio companies, especially take these Great dog, dog fooding it with the people closest. Yeah, to we're sipping the Kool-Aid, buddy. We're sipping the yeah. Kool-Aid for sure. And so this was summer of 2018, but we ended up doing it. Not bad. It was a beta. We ended up doing those 20 plus companies yeah. and successfully, mind you. And from there, it started snowballing and saying, hey, you know, who else could benefit from this? You know, and we actually ended up getting a call from uh, one of the mid-tier accounting firms. They were kind of following me, you know, and they're like, Josh, I heard you're back in the game. You know, I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not, not back in the game, not looking to you know, get into accounting again. Long story short, they ended up licensing what we had built. They had very little tech. And they ended up licensing the software. They did very, very well with it. And it was funny. It was actually the two developers who actually pulled me aside and kind of had this intervention with me and said, hey, Josh, we didn't build this to you know, give it over to a mid-tier accounting firm. We actually yeah. want to genuinely help startups. And so I was like, well. You had we an engineering really intervention? Yeah, it was, it was one of those things. They sat me down and was like, Josh, we need to talk, you know, and. And I was like, you know, I can't go door to door with you because, you know, I'm raising another fund. Don't have the time for it. But there are other funds out there that could maybe use it for their portfolio yeah. company. And so we went there and, you know, I was hoping the managing partners there would kind of talk my developers down from a cliff, but it totally backfired. And it ended up them loving the idea and saying, Josh, we think you should go full time on this. This is awesome. Our companies could use this. We will sign up it. and we'll even write you a check for it. 
And so that actually ended up. I got to throw back to something you said earlier, and you kind of joked about, you know, how people are kind of yelling out the, hey, honey, you know, about getting their accountant to help them. I can't help but think to myself that you know, it sounds like you had a pretty comfortable role when you were running this accounting firm. Did you have to, hey, honey, yourself to get permission to go do this? Because it seems like a pretty massive life change. Yeah, I got to say, my wife is the ultimate superhero in the story. I felt like it was the walk of shame, you know, going back and saying, hey, I want to become a founder, you know, make that leap or become a founder again on, in some of our other companies that we've built. And so she had thought that life stage had already passed. So we, we had a growing family. I have four kids. And so for her, you know, uh, she was like, hey, you know, do what you love and love what you do. And so for her, it wasn't even a question. She yeah. just was like, hey, I'd love to have you home by a certain time for dinner. I'd love for you to spend time, you know, with our kids as they grow. And for her, one thing that she said to me that still stands out was, I need you, Josh, to feel like your full self. And so when you yeah. come home and you share what you're passionate about and you come home yeah. and you share about, you know, what is now Arteus, you know, she's like, that's, you know, the husband that I want. That's the father that I want, you know, for our kids, not someone who's just going through the motions and, live, you know, it's great providing for our family, not putting our family at risk, you know, fiscally, right? Those are table stakes, right? But yeah, other than that, not, go for it, you know? Yeah, so. sounds like a hell of a wife. I can't help but think when I hear this, it reminds me of the story of my father used to tell me he was also an entrepreneur. And, you know, one day he was talking about how decisions were made in the household. And he goes, I may be the captain. He was a bit of a boater. He goes, I may be the captain, but my wife is the admiral. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah. and so uh, it's kind of how I feel about my own life. I'm really glad that my wife doesn't watch her ship because I don't want her to know that. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, <laughs> having some buy-in from your you know, significant other and, and making sure they're part of the process and ultimately are, are behind you is, is huge. I think it's really cool, man. I like that wanting you to be your full self, so to speak. And we've alluded to it a couple of times, but I don't think we've been really definitive in saying, I talked a little bit about what Gusto did. I'm about to start another tech startup along with you know, my other main business, Community Collective. What is these kind of tax credits do you think startups aren't finding that you help them find? Yeah. So R&D, for example, is one of our first credits that we hypothesized that we could actually identify and automate. And so if you think about the internal revenue code, it's super complex. It's probably language that most people don't read or understand, right? In normal day life per se. And so our hypothesis- was, I just finished reading the code top to bottom for the third oh, time did this you? Week. Oh. It is rocking. Section 37 just <laughs> that's does that's it. That's for sure. As completely sure. made up. Just want to be clear for anyone watching. <laughs> so it's, it's something that we- we're like, hey, if we could actually codify the internal revenue code, it's basically a bunch of rules and a bunch of algorithms. So it's actually something that's very, very conducive for something that we could program. And so our hypothesis was taking financial information like your tax returns, maybe your QuickBooks or your general ledger or your payroll, which is a big component. If we actually funnel those you know, inputs into a system, a platform, if you will. What is the likelihood we could identify things that you may have missed? So again, one of my mantras as a founder and even now an entrepreneur is, how do you know what you don't know? So as a first time, second time, third time, even the tax law is always changing depending on even who's in office, right? Republican, Democrat, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. The rules are always changing. And so how do we keep up with 
That's the one constant you do know. It's going to be right. changing all the time. Yeah. That's right. And so for us, we felt like companies were missing out on these credits that they were eligible for, yeah. for whatever reason, right? And here's a good stat for the R&D credit as an example. 10% of the companies eligible in the US actually make up 90% of the credits claimed. So yeah. in essence, the other, let's call it 90%. Those are the people working the system basically the most, I'm assuming. Well, I think those are the ones who are like the Googles, the Facebooks, mm -hmm you know, the ones that have a powerhouse accounting firm, mm -hmm. right, that they can afford to actually claim these credits and make sure that they maximize it or you know, they can sustain them or substantiate them, right? Whereas people like you and me who are in the startup world, you know, we're barely, you know, maybe bootstrapping, we're scraping by, we're surviving. And this is more of a luxury, mm -hmm. right? And so my case in point was bringing 20 plus companies to some of these accounting firms are like, Josh, we need to start with a retainer, yeah. right? Our hourly billable rates are $200, $300, yeah. $400 an hour, right? And so I remember bringing one back. There was one company that I invested in. It had 12 full-time employees and our credit was about 125 grand. Very respectable, right? Yeah. And I remember the offer that I got was about 100 grand to do this, what we call an R&D analysis and study. And I remember getting the reaction from my board. Like literally I was laughed out of the room. We had just <laughs> small, small friends and family and fools around, we call it, right? right? And they're like, what do you want to spend this on? You want to spend it on tax services? So there was this whole plight for smaller companies. And they're even saying that, again, the last statistic that was out there was about only 20% of all eligible companies are claiming these credits, which means again, another 80% are out there that don't know mm -hmm. that they qualify or even if they do know, they're like, where do we start? How do we go about this? That's crazy. I'm intrigued to go dig into this more <laughs> after this episode. So I want to jump back to something else you said a moment ago. And when you look at anyone jumping into a new venture of any format, it can be pretty terrifying. I think when you're a, you know, sometimes maybe as an entrepreneur or maybe whether you're an investor, this concept of knowing like the right questions to ask may not be clear. And so you said earlier, like, how do you know what you don't know? Is there anything else that kind of pops to your head of things you look back now that like, you know, looking back over the last you know, number of years where you go, these are the things I may should have known, but didn't know that impacted the way you think about either investing or being a business leader. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole premise of the show, which is, oh, ship. <laughs> exactly I right. Wish I would have known. I have a great anecdote and story I like to share with other founders. I remember, you know, in our portfolio, this is maybe our third or fourth company that we had spun off. It was sort of our own startup and we rallied a team behind it. And I remember getting to that exit. And I remember setting something up where, you know, we were going to raise some money, but we thought we had some suitors that were going to acquire us. And so I remember a friend, you know, friend slash other VC telling me about a certain clause, like, for example, a payback clause, meaning, hey, Josh, if you don't use the capital that you raise, you know, you can just pay it back with interest, right? Within a certain time frame, like six months. And it was something that I kind of scratched my head and was shocked. Is there such a clause? I could actually raise a convertible note or some sort of note debt financing 
and just pay it back if I get acquired? Like, well, sure, you haven't used the money. And I remember running to my lawyer, right? And <laughs> Double I was checking. Ecstatic. I was like, is this even possible? You're like, this so sounds like, like BS. Yeah, it was like, well, I ran to my lawyer and I was like, Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch, right? I was like, this is crazy. Because I did the math on the first couple exits from other companies we had built. And it would have saved me millions, right? And so I'll never forget my lawyer's reaction, right? Very calm, very collected. And I'm like, Josh, yeah, we, we could put that in. It's not something very traditional, but we can definitely put that. And I remember asking a little further, I was like, you don't seem as ecstatic as I am. This is groundbreaking, right? And they're like, no, I knew about it. Just I, you know, and his reaction afterward was like, Josh, do you think I'm your lawyer? And I was like, well, I know who pays your invoices. And he said, no, 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 I really appreciate that. But, but Josh, like, I'm your corporate legal counsel, right? I'm not Joshua Lee's attorney. And this clause, you know, could, obviously, because it's not very traditional, could add more risk, you know, and plus some of the institutions on our cap table at the time or on this note, yeah. you know, potentially, doesn't want to get paid back. And so I was like, yeah, but what about me? Like, who protects me? And they're like, oh, you need to get a Joshua Lee attorney, you know, a personal attorney that has your... And I was like, wow, this is coming after like, you know, our third exit as a, you know, venture building studio. Mm-hmm. And so my whole premise of like, how do you know what you don't know? Like I forever now on every investment or even company that I start, will have this, you know, potentially asked, right? Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of clause? Is there, can we pay it back? And so when I shared... You know, one of many, many anecdotes, right? It's, wow, this could have saved me a lot, you know. I feel like there's this expectation that we, hopefully, if you're financially able to, and a lot of people aren't, to be clear, you know, we're trying to surround ourselves with experts, so they ask the questions that we don't know. But I think, especially if it's like, it's your first rodeo, or you're really, really tight on finance and you know the only experts you can get to help you are friends or associates or favors you're pulling in but in the the day you're kind of expecting them to be that person for you and i think it's really scary to think how much stuff you just don't know well enough to ask the question basically yeah it can be pretty terrifying for folks to put it mildly i'll tell you one i'm intrigued by that i'm not sure i know the answer on and maybe you have a great opinion on you know, whether you're looking at this as an investor or looking at it as an entrepreneur, so using either side of your brain, given kind of everything that's happening in the economic climate right now, doubling down with, you know, how I think maybe there's an extra level of nervousness with VCs because of some things with SVB. Have you got an opinion on kind of any alternatives that people could think about for traditional funding? Yeah, well, I'm biased, of course, but, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of non-dilutive capital, is out there, right? First and foremost, we just alluded to tax credits. I mean, it's cash for cash, dollar for dollar, right? You can reduce payroll taxes. So there are other forms, and I think people didn't believe it before, right? Before the PPP, before COVID, before all these different things, people just were like, is this for real? You know, it's Josh, you sound like a used car salesman, right? And so there are definitely, you know, alternative forms, I would say, that could bridge your run rates and that could help with tying people over, right, in terms of capital. There's other forms, too, I think people need to understand what it means to fundraise. And so, yes, VCs are a little bit tighter, right, with the economy and the macro level. But that hasn't stopped, you know, in the earlier seed stages, I would say, even 
on companies that re-up, I would venture to say, Freddie, if you were to start a new company, which you are, mm. people would come to you, right? Because they know you and they've invested in you before. And they said, hey, I'd love to re-up on another company that you're doing or even the same company. So going back, mm. you know, to people that you already know or even with the warm intro, right? That's never mm -hmm. been more keen. You know, again, we've worked with a lot of the VCs here in Silicon Beach, down south here in California. Mm -hmm. And there is a very tight-knit community. And so having worked with each of them, you know, with Gusto, with Artius, has been amazing. And now we know exactly what they're looking for, for their ideal profile company, mm -hmm. right? And so a warm intro from us has significantly helped because guess what? We have your payroll. We have your expenses. We do know the co-founders really well. And so an intro, knowing all that and kind of having a, an arduous, if you will, stamp of approval would go a very long way, right? In, in making sure. And plus the fact that we've known what they've invested in, what their sweet spot is. We don't bring them anything that we think is out of left field. We're bringing mm -hmm. them things exactly what they're potentially looking for. Got some real insight in basically. Speaking of insight, you know, when you think about the experience you've pulled in as being an investor, when you then you think about kind of your journey as an entrepreneur, how's the things that you've learned as a, an investor kind of shaped the way you started your business? Do you think you did it differently because of some like things you learned along the way? I'd love to get your kind of take on that. Yeah, I think as entrepreneurs go, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, the end goal. So meaning... When we start out, you know, it's typically, hey, we're sold. You got to, you know, have a press release on, you know, TechCrunch, VentureBeat, right? We raised a bunch of money. That's kind of like your flagship, like pin mm -hmm. on your shoulder, like, hey, wow, you raised all this money. And, and that's your definition of success, right? Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is, you know, basically kind of going back to, you know, the end outcomes, if you will, of a startup, right? And I don't know I'm going to oversimplify, Freddie, but there's basically four, right, that I can think of for every startup, right? Either one, you want this IPO, you're going to make it big and, you know, you go IPO. Two, right, you get acquired, right? Someone buys the company. Three, you go belly up. You just go bankrupt. I mean, nine out of 10, right, is what they say. I prefer the term spectacular implosion, but you can call it belly up if you like. Uh, you can call it the, the most... <laughs> bonafide learning yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a founder possible. And then the fourth one is just, it basically comes a lifestyle. We'll have all those people on a ship eventually, by the way. Oh, they all enjoy that. <laughs> Line up, please. Right? And so, right, in the lifestyle business, right, is number four. I mean, that's very respectable, right? Yeah. Like, hey, making good cash flow, it runs on its own. And so there's basically only four. And, you know, when you're being venture backed, you know, it's usually, hey, you don't want to go belly up. And, you're not really trying to fundraise for a you know, lifestyle business. So you're really looking at two things, right? An IPO or being acquired. Mm -hmm. And for most founders, when asking them, what is the outcome that we're looking for, right? Are we going to go IPO? And, you know, is the dream to be acquired? And, you know, have you thought about who would be a good suitor? Oh, yeah, but that's down the road. I wouldn't even break that. Why not? Mm -hmm. Right? And so the other second question I ask is like, what is the fiscal financial outcome? Right. Sounds super selfish, sounds super greedy, but no, I mean, we're spending the best professional years of our lives building something we love, doing what we love. Yes, those are table stakes again. Right. But I would love for the founders we invest in, you know, making sure that, again, having been in that family situation, hmm. I want to know how many 
you know, years you're willing to put into this? Mm-hmm. Are you a lifer? Right. And what does that financial outcome need to look like? So, for mm-hmm. example, I had a group that just came in, four co-founders, and they sat there and they're like, Josh, lay it on us. They flew out from Atlanta. So I knew they meant business and they wanted to do this one day retreat. And they thought that they were going to be spoon fed, right? Like, Josh, just tell us what we need to do, how we're going to do it. We'll execute like crazy, right? We got you. And I was like, no, 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 hold on. It doesn't work that way, right? I first need to know what is the goal, right? Fiscally, let's just start there. And not only that, I want to know how many years you're willing to put into it. And so for dramatic effect, you know me, Freddie, right? I had them all write it down on a piece of paper and slowly slide it to me, right? And the first one I opened up, and this is a company, mind you, I'll give you some context. It's about a three-year-old company doing pretty well, but right. you know, we're formed as an LLC. There were just four partners, hadn't really thought about fundraising, didn't know what the next steps were. Just lucky to be a founder is what they said. Yeah. I appreciate it. The first one gave me their number. And I kind of looked at this person. And I was like, I think you're done. I think if you know, your three other partners would even have it, I would buy you out. I mean, I love this business. I love you guys. I would buy it. I don't even know why you're still here. If this is the life-changing amount, I think you're there. Now, the other two, the next two, gave me their paper. And this was the funny part. Well within range, okay? But the number of years, the number of years couldn't be any different. Partner number two wrote down, two to three, and partner number three wrote down eight to 10. Wow. And so the two to three, everyone kind of stopped, looked, I felt like I needed to leave the room. (laughs) It's awkward. They're like, so this is a bit of a shorter term relationship than we thought. (laughs) And the partner went and proceeded to explain like, hey, I want to start a family. I want to buy a house. Like, did we think we were doing this forever? It's already been three plus years plus this other, that's five, six years. I thought, you know, and the eight to 10, you know, was like, no, I in it for the long haul, but we need to know what we're doing. And then the last one, Freddie, was your typical, the last partner was your typical unicorn or bust. You know, she was the CEO of the company in her role. And I was like, you know what, for this number that you want to hit, you're already three years behind in raising money. Right. So the question about whether or not we should even raise capital, when to raise it, how to raise it, under what valuation, right? Convertible note or not, priced round, all these things kind of laid itself out. But you need to be on the same page, right? And kind of working backward because understanding the multiples you can get in building your recurrent revenue or how much you need to hit for so and so to potentially acquire you for this price tag, it's all math. Right. And again, having been through it like you and I have as bona fide lifers in the startup world, we know what those ranges are. Right. And you mentioned like, what did I want out of Artius? Right. Like, I was already almost self semi retired when this whole thing, you know, happened, getting back to the venture studio. But literally, when I made the decision with these two other, you know, developers to do this, I kid you not, we were in a coffee shop and I wrote down on a napkin, I'll try to look for it because I think I might have it on me, but I wrote down on a napkin four or five potential companies that I felt we could actually, you know, have this acquired by. And on the top of that napkin was actually Gusto, right? And I actually said to them, look, I know I'm not the smartest guy in any room, that's for sure. But somebody has to be looking at tax or fintech in this type of way. And I proceeded to call down the list of these five companies. And they were very open, by the way. They know who they are, right? Big, big companies. And they're like, yes, Josh, we are looking at this. 
And yes, Josh, we are trying to build it. And I was like, great, but what happens? Because tax is tough. What if you can't? And they're like, well, if you can't rent, you're probably gonna have to buy, right? <laughs> and that was enough for me. I was like, I'll see you in a couple of years. And so <laughs> you know, that gave me the confidence enough, yeah. again, going backward here to know exactly what we were gonna build, how much we were needed to raise, and what numbers we needed to be in range of for the financial outcome that I was hoping to achieve with the first, you know, I call it 12 employees that decided to take that leap of faith with me, right? And so being that type of leader where I had the confidence, at least from the background of an investor or even as a CEO to understand, hey, if I'm willing to ask someone to leave their full-time job to come to a startup, right? Or eating rice and ramen over here, right? Kind of bootstrapping this. I want the confidence enough to know that, hey, there's going to be a suitor. There will be a buyer. And... We've already had these conversations. So that was kind of the most shocking thing that people tell me, like, Josh, we would never go and ask, you know, so-and-so if they're interested, you know, because we're not ready. And I'm like, I didn't even have a product yet. And I still called, <laughs> you know, these companies that I thought would be a good fit. And we had a really good conversation, you know, about it. So Freddie, you got to see this. So this was the napkin in the coffee shop where we thought about creating artists. And here were the, you know, and uh, suitors that we wanted to I love it. I love it. And That's so, freaking awesome. I love that you still have that. <laughs> I want to frame awesome. it because I think it, you know, might get uh, thrashed, but you yeah, still right. have it. So I have, uh, I wasn't smart enough to keep the napkin that we wrote the core principles of uh, Chameleon Collective on. I was out with some of their original chameleons. And they, one of them kept it and sent it to me years later. Oh, that's awesome. Frame, which I thought was very cool. But I think, I think that's awesome, man. Very cool. You hear the stories of the idea on the napkin and you don't very rarely do oh, literally. the napkin. So I love that story. And I think that is a great lesson that maybe someone who hadn't come up through the investor route wouldn't have thought about. Given that was, I think, a story of kind of how to kind of go big or go home on some level. I think this is a perfect segue to flip it on its head for a moment. and ask our oh ship question so i know you're a listener and a watcher of a ship and thank you again for that joshua i want to address the people who may be tuning into oh ship for the first time today while i love getting a chance to talk to people like joshua who've had you know some really great wins that they can talk about and lessons they can share but i also like to ask them about times where it's gone all wrong we like to call them on the show oh ship moments you know a bit where you know maybe it's gone completely off the rails you thought failure was imminent, maybe you even failed. And how did those people deal with that? And how did it impact them? You know, how did they address the solution? What did they learn from it? Uh, how did it potentially change them? Maybe it didn't do either of those things. Maybe it's just a funny story. It wasn't that funny when it happened, but it's funny now. I don't care. It's an, an easy, wide lens. I just love to hear super successful people talk about an oh shit moment because it makes the rest of us feel slightly less stupid <laughs> in a very crazy world to know that not everyone's life is a perfect path from point A to point B. So the floor is yours. Yeah, it's a great question. That's I love the premise of the show. I think it goes back to being in a comfy you know, corporate job. That is for some people. And I have full respect right, for climbing the corporate ladder and playing that role. There's a lot of providers that we rely on, that I still rely on, that are in that route. But for me, I think it was cultural, right? Obviously, I was born and raised here in the U.S., but being Asian, I was actually taught to be risk averse, 
And, you know, the most conservative route you can think of. I was probably the most conservative person you'd ever meet, period. It's and that, that CPA in you. It's, <laughs> and, and that is it. They really teach you to be risk averse when you get trained to do yeah, that. All you do is see risk. That is yeah. honestly the truth. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. And so the more and more I was there, the more and more I learned to see risk. And so I would actually, ironic, the irony here, again, with those friends of mine who, you know, I saw them and there was this admiration from afar, right? It's like, well, how can you make that decision without perfect information, right? It was like, you know, Paralysis by analysis, right? That was me. I would like overthink everything. I would, I would want to have 100% information before making a decision. And yet they were coming to me as like their consultant or their advisor. And seeing them do that, I had such uh, admiration again and respect for them. And I wanted to do that. And now I'm dating myself, but there was this episode of Seinfeld back in the day where, you know, <laughs> there's a character named George Costanza. He's kind of like your. I love George. Yeah, he's like your average guy who's kind of like just always down on his luck or feeling like he's made every wrong decision in his life ever possible, right? So there's this I'm one pretty classic sure it's happened, Yeah, this classic episode where George says, hey, if every decision I've made to this point in my life is the wrong one, then the opposite decision must be the right one, right? And so I remember this episode where he just decides to do everything the opposite, right? Instead of having like, you know, a meat lover sandwich, he orders a salad, right? And instead of like interviewing and doing the normal route, you know, interviewing for a job, he tells off, you know, George Steinbrenner, like the boss, and he lands a job with the Yankees. And and so for me, it was like, wow, what if I did everything? The opposite? How can I be more like, not just less risk adverse, but also just like more, you know, impactful in my decision-making and more decisive and be more entrepreneurial. So the longer I stayed, I realized, and it was more for the people. That's one thing I did realize was I stayed five, six years more than I should have because of the people. I love the people. I love my team. I love my clients. And so what I didn't realize was like, wow, that could be anywhere, right? As an entrepreneur yourself, ready, you meet you know, your new team members, you have your new clients, people who buy from you, you get to do your show, right? And meet other entrepreneurs. And so you don't lose any of those things right? It's actually just different. And so I wish I had done it so much earlier, right? And taken that risk and can only imagine if I could get those six years back. But I think everything has its purpose too. Like most entrepreneurs will say very cliche, like, oh, I didn't fail. I just learned. Yeah, I, actually, I was just going to say, I mean, this is a good way to be super clear. It was a very different kind of oh ship story that I've heard because sometimes people kind of, you know, it's like, hey, here's when I ran you know, a car into a wall. And I think yours is a no ship moment. It's almost a regret, actually, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like not kind of diving into something a little sooner because you were nervous about it. And I think that's really cool, actually. First of all, I appreciate you sharing that a personal thing to share. And I think that's a great, actually, lesson for anyone who's watching her ship about, you know, if you're interested in being, whether it's an entrepreneur or even just a leader or hell, just damn near anything you want to do, you got to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone, especially if you know you're risk averse. And we all have friends who are risk averse. I'm sure there's a lot of people who sort of watch the show who consider themselves to maybe feel risk averse and they sometimes feel like they lack the confidence to do it. But it's so important that you try and push yourself into new territory because it's how you evolve, I think, as a human being. So again, hats off to you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. So I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah, if someone in their car or somewhere 
listening to this and if it can be any of encouragement or just a, that extra kick from Freddie and I, like today, do yeah, it. Yeah, like, go, 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 go. Yeah, I really enjoyed today's chat. If other people want to find you or learn more about you, what's the best place for them to kind of to dig in? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is, it's an oxymoron, but it's uh, USC Bruin okay. on Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can look up Ardius and we can even put a link in the code for OSHIP listeners. Maybe they need an R&D credit or any type of tax yeah, credit. Yeah, cool. I'll do that. That'd be great. Give them a code and you know, we'll hook you guys up. I appreciate that. That's very, very kind of you. And unplanned and unscripted for the record. So that was a generous sure. offer. Joshua, thanks again for joining my ownership today. I really enjoyed it. You're a good dude. I hope we get a chance to meet in person sometime in the next couple of years and grab a beer or dinner or something. I can tell you, you're going to be oh, good no company. And for all of you who've been listening today, whether you're tuning in on any of our audio podcasts or you're watching on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, or any of the other places we stream, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate it. If you want to subscribe, if you haven't already subscribed, visit oshipshow.com and you can see all the different places we stream or whatever platform you're on right now. Give it a like, subscribe, follow us, whatever the right method is. Yeah, if the best thing you can do, give us a thumbs up, comment on it, share it with your friends. We will continue to bring the show to you every single week, completely non-commercial. We're not going to sponsor. We just want to do this because it's what we think is good for our audience. And we hope that inspires you. We hope it makes you want to do big things. And if nothing else, we hope it makes you feel a little bit better on the day when maybe you're not feeling so perfect to know that even some pretty bright folks out there have off days too. Joshua, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on. And keep listening. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, everyone. See you next week on Earthship. Ship.